are you going to launch the Uber of tankers at the end of the day where we can just order <laughs> the tanker? Hello listeners, I'm your host Ziad Matar and I would like to welcome you all to the Wirelessly Yours podcast where I talk about everything tech, business and design. On each episode, I invite some of the brightest minds to join me and discuss cutting-edge technologies, emerging business models, and the latest design trends that are transforming our world and shaping the future. Wirelessly Yours. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this new episode of the Wirelessly Yours podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us live today. I'm your host, Ziad Matar, and in this episode, we will talk about shipping. To talk about this today, I have the great honor and privilege of hosting Samir Madani, a very good friend of mine who, in addition to being an expert on the topic uh, of shipping, co-founded Tanker Trackers a few years ago. Also, he happens to have a wireless blood running through his veins, just like yours wirelessly. Samir, welcome to Wirelessly Yours. You promised me that you will shower for this uh, episode. It's the <laughs> yes. first of the month. <laughs> yes. In return, in return I, I promise that I will shave. I haven't shaved since 2006, to be honest. So instead of that, uh, today I'm proud to announce also that we launched our new Wildly Yours coffee-scented shaving foam products. So you can have, if, if shaving isn't your cup of tea, you can have it a cup of coffee. It will wake you up in the morning. Uh, you can have our espresso scent. You can have our cappuccino scent. And we're working on a flat white product coming soon to a zoo close to you. Please add ethically grown avocado into the mix. Thank you. <laughs> All our beans are ethically grown. They're, by the way, they're vegan <laughs> and, and gluten-free. So no Wonderful. issues with that. Thank you for uh, having me on, Ziad. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So uh, I, I, I wanted, maybe we should also change, uh, based on this introduction, I guess the, the title of this uh, episode was going to be Ship Happens, but I feel more and more, and more it's more like ship, shower, and shave. So. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Tell us about uh, you. We'll talk about showering and shaving maybe later. Let's talk okay. about shipping. Tell okay. us about Sam. Okay. So, Sam, the story of Sam. Uh, let's see. I am a suburban father of four small kids. I live in S Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, my life journey is that, uh, like you said, I have a, a wireless or telecom background, rather. Um, I spent two decades in the, uh, in the telecom and dot-com industry, uh, building up uh, mobile wireless networks and voice over IP and uh, on the forefront of, of uh, next generation mobile uh, connectivity. And so I, I spent yeah, a good two decades uh, developing products and taking them to market and uh, even started a company uh, five years into my uh, telecom career. And, and uh, that went well for about uh, 13, 14 years or so. And then I uh, got out of that and I decided uh, I want to completely change my entire career path uh, because I was uh, very always interested in um, uh, two things. One is logistics, the other is geopolitics. So I love the movement of, of things and, and how, how everything just uh, works together, uh, all these cogwheels uh, that are in motion. So uh, like you, I mean, I grew up in the Middle East and, and uh, I was in the Gulf region. And I, I got to see big oil tankers uh, move through. And I lived also in Egypt, near the Suez Canal in Cairo. And uh, we, we get to see all kinds of uh, things happen there. And uh, it's very exciting. But, you know, later on in, in, in adulthood, you, you forget about these 
childhood uh, uh, memories. Uh, but when when you start working with it again, it all comes back to you. And I remember, I remember all these uh, scenes from the Suez Canal and what happened last week was a good refresh of that. So let's talk about uh, you know what happened uh, last week. Our, usually our first section of the show is called the elephant in the zoom. In this yeah. case, you know the elephant is out of the zoom and got stuck in the Suez Canal. So uh, now it's uh, thank God it's over. And uh, I assume I mean you tell us what's happening behind the scene, but assume uh, the ship is out and uh, most of world order is restored. But tell us a little bit what happened last week, the consequences, and how far last right. week they would be. So CNN put out this wonderful little game on their website where you can actually uh, simulate uh, maneuvering this vessel and it proves <laughs> that it's very, very difficult. And so she's 400 meters long and I think most people got only as far as 4%. That's the result that people are posting. So there's a newfound respect for the captain now all of a sudden because it is such a challenge to traverse the, this very, very narrow canal. It wasn't as narrow as it is uh, now when you think about it. Over time, it's, it, the vessels have grown. Uh, so um, okay. uh, that's the issue. And in this case, uh, I remember seeing an evergreen um, vessel on my 12th birthday in, on April 8th, 1991 at the Suez Canal. And she was only 230 meters long. This one was 400. Uh, so any slight gust of wind would just uh, make a serious uh, impact here. And uh, it seems like that was probably what happened. Uh, but uh, when you would look at the AIS playback, you notice that there was some wobbling going on one and a half kilometers back. And that was that the vessel uh, tried to steer more to the left. And it probably grazed the sandbank because the, the canal itself is shaped like a bowl. And so it came to the edge of that, uh, um, the, the maximum uh, yeah. maximum can use that lane. And, and it probably grazed the side, hit the propeller, and then make it a hard right, probably a panic move, uh, or, or something got something went wrong with, the, with the, maybe the autopilot, although I doubt it, um, and then just rammed into the wall. And, and uh, fortunately, it was just, you know, sand. So probably the damage was uh, not as uh, large as one, one would think. And normally, when one sees these things, you see big dents and, 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 and cuts right through the hull, but not yeah. in this case. So now it's a question of, uh, well, now they transported over to the Great Bitter Lake, just 20, 30 kilometers north of where, where it happened. And she's being held there until the Egyptians decide what to do, because uh, they're, they're obviously seeking damages, uh, because it, this okay. stopped uh, traffic for a number of days. And uh, you said that when this happens, typically it's more damage. So these type of incidents happen. Uh, usually, I mean, what is the rate? Not say? to this extent. Not to this not extent. To this. I mean, okay. we've seen we've seen uh, beachings. Uh, uh, we see them quite frequently. That the vessel comes too close to, uh, it gets out of its depth, and it mm -hmm. just gets stuck there, and then it gets pulled out of the area okay. by by tug assistance within hours. But in this case, it, it, it hit. It entered the canal, and just ten kilometers in into a single lane canal. Uh, so there was no backup uh, lane. Uh, it got stuck and that closed off the traffic for as long as it did for almost a week, right? And so for our listeners who don't know, I mean, this, the canal, as you said, is single lane. Is it always is it one-way uh, street usually or smaller it, boats can no, cross? How does it work? Uh, at the From the south end, the, the Gulf of Suez, that lane is 30 kilometers long and it's single lane. But then you, after the Great Bitter Lake, which is north of it, uh, it goes, I think, in single lane and then two lane and then single lane again and two lanes. So it's a really odd 
uh, setup, how they how they put it together. Yeah. Uh, but th they obviously need to work on adding an additional lane all throughout, so you don't have this uh, situation. But of course, it costs money, and the the canal itself generates something like five billion dollars in revenue every year, which doesn't seem like much. But uh, when you yeah. think about it, the the, the canal itself only covers about 12.5% of global shipping um, uh, right now. Okay, interesting. Only that. So the rest goes through other uh, routes. And yes. So this is the, the, the interesting uh, second part. I mean, 12.5% is still a, a big number for yes. some location. And, and obviously, there was an impact. So uh, what happened there? I mean, how did we feed it as you know, uh, users, as the you know, consumers, let's say? So it does make an impact because obviously uh, there are goods there which, uh, well, it's not just the, those goods that are on board which are, which are delayed, but everything else. So you have like a big backlog of vessels and there's a question of how to prioritize, what to prioritize, uh, which vessels will go north first, which ones will go south first, etc. Uh, so that, that's an issue, obviously. So the first thing that they did was because of the fact that it was congested on the south end, uh, what they did was from the north, they started filling in the, 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 the Great Bitter Lake uh, with uh, sending down as many vessels as possible. Then once that uh, the Ever Given was removed, uh, then they could flush out the uh, the Great Bitter Lake down into the Red Sea, and then after that, the South um, started sending up vessels to North, and North started vessels from the South, from the North to the South. <laughs> and right a few days later, is it, uh, is it all restored? Uh, Pardon? Can we say that now? A few days later, can we say that world order has been restored, or is it still? It's restoring. It will take another a few days before. Uh, you know, things have stabilized again. Uh, we, we're seeing that the anchorages are thinning now in terms of density. Uh, so there's fewer vessels. But of course, there's more vessels coming in from both directions as well, from the Mediterranean and from the Red Sea. So it continues. Interesting. Very it continues. And, um, you know, like what happened, you know, last year with, with, the, with you know, the global pandemic and the restrictions and the lockdown, we suddenly realized Although many of us knew, but maybe everybody now realized the importance of the internet and digitization and connected services, uh, you know, for us to keep our normal life. Uh, then I said, I mean, shipping is an underrated uh, industry, right? So right. we don't think about it uh, too much. We order something, it arrives with a guy wearing a, a uniform, so we think this is it. How, how much of, of, of global trade still goes through these ships? And... Uh, most of how it. is this evolving? Yeah, most of the goods that we we consume are uh, sent out by sea, and even when when the coronavirus uh, uh, first came out into the public uh, worldwide, uh, what happened was that the ships were still being uh, fully used. I mean, there, there was so much cargo being sent around, oil in particular. Uh, a lot of the tankers were were completely. Uh, packed with oil and they were just sitting uh, idle as floating storage um, because the the traders were uh, uh, I mean the buyers they were they were buying as much oil as they could while it was cheap and just housing yeah. it uh, on sea because they, they were, there was no place to put it on land and so um, shipping uh, kept oil consumption very high uh, as a result and even though um, consumption on the street was very low, uh, out at yeah. sea was very high. So oil demand is a factor of two things. Um, it's, it's consumption and it's storage. So whether, whether or not you're consuming, you can always be packing stuff into storage. 
And that's what China does. So they saw it as an opportunity to buy as much oil as possible because the price was crashing. And they yes. kept on doing it. And they even do it when price is rising because then they go uh, start looking for cheaper sources uh, where this oil yeah. comes from. Then they start buying large volumes from those cheapest sources. And what they do now uh, at this moment is that they're trying to buy as much as possible from countries that are under, for instance, U.S. and EU sanctions. And in, in this case, tips not to use to transporting. Sometimes they're just like floating reservoirs uh, just to... Uh, to store and uh, and say and from from the consumption side uh, it seems that you know, we consume as we are shipping or as we are storing how much percent is it like transportation versus for, for navigation what is roughly the balance in, in consumption i'm sorry i didn't hear the last part of the question if on automotive side versus how much we use oil for shipping is there is yeah. there is it a comparable volume well, the impact was uh, very visible um, in, in terms of uh, road uh, fuel consumption. Uh, there it dropped off, off the cliff it dropped and, completely. And, and, yeah. and then it, it did a V-shaped recovery uh, over the coming months into the summer of last year. And since then, it's, it's, it's picking up, uh, up and down, you know, sometimes it dropped like during a Q4, but now it's picking up again into spring break and so on. And definitely we'll see more into summer as, as vaccines uh, are, are keep on rolling out. And, but when it comes to shipping itself, it's continuously strong. And uh, the only thing that we can see a very large drop, and, and it's still low, it's the jet fuel consumption. Uh, so globally, it's yeah. around 8 million barrels normally per day uh, of crude oil that is used for, for um, jet fuel. And I think it dropped down to like uh, less than... Uh, what was it? Almost a fourth uh, when when it actually hit at its worst, right. and then it picked up since. Maybe it's around two thirds of the way up now. Interesting. So let's talk about then uh, a little bit more fuel and oil, since you know at the end of the day your your tanker truck trackers you're not shipping trackers. So tell us a little bit why why was it uh, something that got you interested in the importance of of, of what you do for the right. oil industry and what's around. Right. Well, uh, it all started off back in 2015. I started, uh, I, I had a very big interest in, in the oil market itself. And I started dabbling with the trades uh, on the side, uh, just see how uh, it works, just try to learn the moves of the graph and, and, and what actually moves the graph. And then I got into the routine of the scheduled reports, like the EIA uh, crude oil inventory report, which is every Wednesday in the US. And, uh, and there's other uh, things like the OPEC meetings and so on. And uh, that, that really caught my interest in, in particular because uh, of the fact that um, uh, there was the uh, return of, uh, or there was the JCPOA agreement with Iran. And then th when those barrels came into the market, were back into the market, the oil price crashed. And I actually rode that short position that I had and it made a pretty good return. Uh, right at the start and then of course the, the oil price started rebounding later on because uh, there were production cuts in place and 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 uh where they, they were negotiating production cuts and, and so there's a lot of mixed signaling as well by various opec countries which is normal <laughs> and, and uh, a lot of countries say one thing and they do another so i i wanted to understand what exactly they were doing versus what they were saying and uh i saw i realized that most of the analysts in the, in, the, in, the, in the narrative around oil is about production. But 
uh, one of the uh, mathematical uh, factors used to calculate production is exports. And exports is something that I understood because I was actually tracking vessels for uh, the routers that I was selling, uh, you know, tens of thousands of every year. And I was, I was following uh, cargo vessels from Hong Kong to uh, Sweden. And, and uh, all I did was I went into this website, marinetraffic.com. And I clicked on a filter called tankers. And then my whole screen just lit red like a measles. And I got completely mesmerized, right? I started zooming in on them, clicking here. It says, oh, it's going from Rastanura to uh, uh, Gola, the Gulf, um, uh, sorry, the Galveston offshore lighting area in Texas. And I was just completely captivated. And I saw, I clicked on the route plan. I saw it takes like six, six weeks. Maybe I can start uh, making some predictions here based on, based on this information. And I can start quantifying the barrels based on the vessel sizes and how much, uh, how deep they are in the water. Because uh, that information is available and all I have to do is convert into barrels. So we did that. And I, 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 I gained a buddy in this process, uh, a friend of mine called Lisa, Lisa Ward. Uh, we met on Twitter with a similar passion uh, for, for oil trading and for uh, tracking vessels. And we decided that we'd uh, start off as a hobby. And uh, this was a very late night, <laughs> late night hobby for me. And I was in, in the process of having an additional two kids. And so I have four. Uh, yes. twin, tw twins were born. The latest and, twins. Uh, yeah. And, and so we, we launched a website. It was open for all and, and people could just um, uh, follow our work there uh, because we wanted to centralize. I, I was doing my own thing. Lisa was doing hers. And so we decided to combine and make a website called tankertrackers.com. And so uh, we launched the website. I had my kids. I took my parental time and I started really considering, you know, where, where, where am I interested now? I'm, I'm, I'm at a crossroads in my life. I'm now, you know, entering my 40s. And uh, I've done 20 years of telecom and, and, and stuff like that. I'm making products, but I'm never actually using them in, in that regard. Like I'm making, uh, I want to start uh, using technology uh, on a, in a, in a hands-on basis. In a, and so what I decided to do is that I'm working with so much tech. Let's put it out together. Let's make a service out of it. And okay. so uh, we started applying AIS maritime data together with satellite uh, imagery. Uh, daily satellite photos and we started piecing the puzzle together uh, so that we could um, actually uh, keep track of vessels that were not uh, reporting their positions in real time so they were switching off their transponders and we oh, see that in a number of countries uh, so it's not just the, the countries that are under sanctions but we see that in the cases of theft uh, so there's vessels that pull up to countries like Iraq and they, they actually steal uh, things like fuel oil uh, then there's, um, in the case of uh, Saudi Arabia even, there are vessels that uh, uh, depart for the Sumed pipeline in Egypt, and that's underreported as well. So uh, we see a number of uh, barrels a day uh, which, which are uh, hidden from, from these reports. And as a result, when you start piecing all this together, like how much a country refines in terms of barrels per day, how much it exports, how much it maybe imports, uh, then and you can what's in the sea at the same time. Yeah, and, right. and, and then and then and then at the end, or in, in storage, yeah, and then and then uh, at the end, you come out with a number called production, and our number always differed a little bit from what uh, was being reported by OPEC members. 
So then uh, it inspired us to, to keep improving and to be a, a legitimate market source of information and intelligence when it comes to uh, shipping. So uh, therefore, after we, uh, a year or two later, when both uh, myself, because I actually jumped the first, I, I went full time into this, then Lisa yeah. came aboard and, and our colleague Brecky, um, so we're all three full-timers on this. Uh, we, we have a, a, a paywall service, but we also have consulting services uh, where we actually um, sell our data and we do uh, tracking for uh, the maritime reinsurance uh, companies and, and, and okay. uh, P&I clubs. Uh, so we do investigations. And, um, and, and, and we built a brand around this, uh, thanks to our cooperation with select media sources as well. And... Uh, yeah, we, we have a great time and, and until, of course, <laughs> something happens out at sea, like the Suez situation. And that's always, exactly. uh, it's always a lot of phone calls. Then you start talking overdrive. So it's very interesting because that's we'll come back to also the, 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 the science and tech behind what you do. But the, yeah. the journey that you have, and this brings us to the next section, which I call business unusual, because there's something very unusual here. You went from a very corporate background, Ericsson, huge company, forefront of tech innovation, to startup entrepreneurship. You co-founded Dovado, you know, brilliant Wi-Fi devices at the time where, you know, the world really needed them. And, and then you jumped into something and I'm unable to kind of qualify. Is it a startup? Is it even a company? I don't know. Is it three people with a website? Uh, are you in a garage? Is there a dog? What's the setup exactly? Our setup is we work from three different locations from our homes and uh, we meet maybe once a year at best. Uh, but we have a regular uh, daily chat and we have, of course, uh, an occasional uh, video call. Uh, but mostly audio calls. I'm sick and tired of <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> but before but, uh, you started this, had you met before? Uh, yes. Uh, well, no. Uh, Lisa later on, but uh, Brecky, I know him since uh, 30 years back, since I moved to Sweden. I uh, went to school together. Uh, Lisa met uh, on Twitter, and then uh, she came here, and we met all three of us, and we had our first meeting that, like, like that. And um, we meet around every 12 to 18 months uh, nowadays. Uh, UK is not so far. So um, uh, I would say that what, what, what I really love about it is that it challenged me because I had no knowledge of any of this five years ago um, yeah. and, and completely self-taught. Uh, so there was no Outside expert. Outside of your field completely, right? Exactly. So, so, and I love, I love challenging myself from scratch, just like picking up something and try to be top of that game uh, as, as much as possible. So now we have larger companies turning to us for uh, seeking our assistance, tracking the companies that need that specialty in what we do. And that's to, to find yeah. vessels that just don't want to be found. Okay, so you have this uh, detective uh, element, uh, the Sherlock Holmes of, uh, of vessels. And so it's yeah. like the private investigators of the uh, of the oil world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's uh, there's open source intelligence involved. Obviously, you use the data yeah. that's publicly accessible, and uh, if you know how to do it properly, then you can find a lot more than you you actually uh, start off looking for. 
and that that tends to be the situation that we find a lot of uh, things and 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 also we we've built such a brand uh, around what we do that uh, volunteers come to us with their uh, information and okay. so yeah this is a, so there is a bit of a open sourcing or crowdsourcing element you get something yes well. yes there's crowdsourcing as well we get uh, like yes. for instance if i have a situation where um, we have this persistent bad weather coverage in an area and I don't get a, a, a good clear uh, satellite photo as evidence for, for instance, a, a, a court case by a maritime reinsurer, uh, then there might be somebody on the ground who actually has sent us a photo and that happens quite a lot actually. Have you discovered something that uh, got you into a bit of a tight spot, let's say? Uh, almost every week. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to the first question from our listeners, by the way. After you answer. <laughs> no, but, it, it, you know, the oil is such a geopolitically charged and sensitive topic so that um, we see things that, that uh, happen uh, weeks and sometimes years before it's actually being reported about. So, for instance, now recently, uh, Wall Street Journal and the New York Times did a, a, a big splash piece about um, Israel's attacks on on the Iranian uh, oil tankers over the past couple of years. Well, we were actually reporting it to our clients two years ago that there was um, pipelines off the coast of uh, Syria in Banias yeah. that were actually uh, blown up by limpet mines months after the um, the uh, attacks in the Gulf of Oman against the tankers there, if you remember, in Fujairah. And so yeah. I understood at the time that there was some um, retaliation going on. We didn't actually voice it as that, but we, 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 we did say that uh, this might uh, be uh, retaliation uh, for, for those uh, two uh, dates of attacks in, in May and June uh, in 2019. And then we started seeing a number of things happen after that. So we saw more vessels uh, suddenly uh, being struck by limpet mines or they just their mechanics broke down in the Red Sea and uh, they started leaking oil and they had to go back and so on. And there's a tit-for-tat tit game going on all the time um, between these two countries. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch from a distance uh, but I try not to think of it always as just icons on the screen, that there's actual people involved on both yeah. sides and, and there's the environment around all that uh, that's being affected. So we see oil spills showing up in like the northern part of Somalia and Yemen uh, as a result of, of, of incidents. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very serious uh, topic uh, to cover, but we try to give... Uh, uh, mom and pop uh, oil oil investors an idea of actually um, the whole process. Uh, give them more insight, more visibility. So it's not just numbers on on a, in an Excel sheet. Uh, you know, these are real um, uh, life. Uh, I mean, these are real uh, real life experiences uh, that 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 affect uh, the oil market, obviously. Correct, and then. As you said, I mean, there are people uh, involved on these ships and, you know, uh, always salute uh, all these people who spent enormous days, uh, month and month at sea and probably uh, during the lockdown situation, some people maybe yeah. still at sea since a year now. There, there's many who actually don't even get paid uh, for a year or more. 
And wow. so that, that's a real shame. So their, their managers uh, just ditched them. Uh, they've maybe done the trade uh, for the oil and the, these, the, the crew is sitting on an empty vessel uh, somewhere in the world and they're not getting any help, no food, no water. Uh, so that's a, that, that, that unfortunately happens every single day. Uh, so that's a big issue. Scary, yeah. Uh, we have a question and we'll take more questions through LinkedIn as they come, but uh, from Shaban Mahmoudi, uh, if you have seen already some impact of uh, President Biden coming to power uh, in the United States on the whole situation between Iran and, and the region? Uh, I would say no, there has not been any impact uh, regarding uh, the change of administration. That hasn't made any impact at all. What has made an impact is the higher oil prices. They're driving more um, traders to, to go for the absolute uh, cheapest deal that they can find in terms of uh, getting hold of the oil and delivering it to uh, their client, be for instance China, and make a, mm -hmm. a, a good a profitable margin. And they, what they've done is uh, they don't actually lease vessels uh, from, yeah. from existing uh, shipping companies. Instead, what they do is they buy them. Uh, for a fraction of the original price. So if, uh, let's say, a VLCC super tanker, VLCC stands for a very large crude carrier, that can contain 2 million barrels of, of, of crude oil. Uh, what they do is, uh, instead of buying a new one for $100 million, you buy an old one, maybe around 20 years, uh, you buy it for $20 million or less. Okay. And, and I've seen it go down as low as maybe $17 uh, million. So you buy that once, and after just one journey, or maybe sometimes two, depending on the price of oil, you've made your return already and a very uh, hefty uh, profit. So we see those same vessels coming back every single month, picking up, you know, $100 million worth of oil or more, and, and they're making a killing. So the, unfortunately, the money, the profit doesn't go to the people uh, that it's intended yeah. to. It's, it goes to the, the traders uh, slash smugglers who, who live abroad. Uh, very comfortably, uh, or they might even live in those countries very comfortably, but they're just not sharing the profits. So uh, while the, the common person living in a country that's under sanctions uh, is suffering, there are people who are, who are profiting uh, enormously uh, from these deals. And they actually really look forward to uh, countries being under sanctions. So we see those same traders, those same vessels actually pick up oil from both uh, Iran and Venezuela. And Venezuela is even cheaper. So that we actually even see Iranian traders sending their vessels to Venezuela to make an even larger profit than what they can from Iran. Well, so and then so this is like the physical training and the trading and then you have the online trading and you know I heard somewhere you can uh, tell us a little bit more from uh, from what you can do without even ever seeing or touching a barrel of oil how many times this barrel is actually being traded and sold and futured and uh, mm -hmm. short and, and whatever I mean there's a whole economy behind that right? Yeah, I mean the the standard uh, average retail uh, trader would uh, might want to dabble in futures trading, uh, try to make a quick buck here and there. Uh, it could be very profitable if it, if it if you make a profit, or it could set you back uh, a lot if if it goes uh, the other direction. Uh, I would not advise it, uh, especially if you have no mileage at all in it, and and if you haven't 
uh, it would probably be good just to start demo trading if you want to start uh, mm -hmm. doing something like that and use a very small amount of money, maybe no more than three digits uh, in dollar value. Uh, so I think it's it's uh, probably better to you probably better have chances of, of going to Las Vegas and make a make a, a, a fun buck there. Even if you lose, you still had fun. It's not the same as <laughs> in the old market, unfortunately, because it, it can it can it can hit you very hard. Uh, after every OPEC meeting in either direction. Now, what I would say is that um, in, in, in my case, what I did was uh, I, learned, I learned everything the wrong way and the hard way um, because I didn't have too much guidance. And I, and I built a community on, on, on Twitter called the hashtag OOTT, which stands for the hashtag Organization of Oil Trading Tweeters. And so I started learning from this network, started understanding how the technical traders were doing it, how the fundamental traders who are doing it. And I try to combine the two, uh, depending on, on, on what it is I'm doing. But for instance, what happened was um, in last, so a year ago, end of March, I combined both technical and fundamental. And I did my first long-term investment ever in oil. So I took a, 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 a I was making a killing in, 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 in a fund in China uh, for five years, it tripled. And my salary, uh, my sorry, my my pension fund, and I was very happy with that. But uh, I decided I would uh, split it and take one half and put it in uh, oil and gas, and that's that's what I did right after the big crash um, in at of the end of, uh, of of Q1 exactly. Yeah. So I I bought that at a very hefty discount. It was actually the lowest, uh, or two days after the lowest uh, it ever hit in that fund. And so it's up now 60% since then, and it's making a good return. I have no ambition to trade it right now. I want to sit on it even, even longer. I don't want to double down. Uh, no, instead what I did was I, I, I was uh, forced to sell off my China fund because the, the pension plan here in, in Sweden, they, they cut ties with the, 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 the bank and because of the terms. And so I decided I want to get out of China, I don't need to continue on there. I think they've peaked for now. And sure enough, they did last month. Forget it. I mean, they yeah. just, it just started sliding. Said what I said was, I want to try something completely new, something that I've always been curious about and something that actually makes sense if you've lived in the Middle East. And so what other precious commodity is there besides oil? It's water. So I decided to take that half and put it in water. And that fund is growing as a result now. Uh, it's still uh, not oversubscribed, so there's plenty more uh, room uh, for for investors to come in, and it's not all that old, so it's, it's, it seemed like a good thing because everything else is quite heavily bought up over the past year, uh, big returns, uh, you know, a V-shaped recovery. But uh, when it came to water, I thought this is exciting. This is something that does yeah. make sense. You're gonna need. You, we're living in a world which is good, which is being flushed down the toilet. Might as well make some money out of that. And, and uh, in, in this case, I thought oil and gas in, in one half and um, uh, water, clean water in the other. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I but went with in terms of commodities. You're definitely staying at the cutting edge of all geopolitical nightmares and tensions. Yes, in the yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> this is it. Uh, so that's interesting and definitely unusual, uh, uh, which also, you know, uh, brings me to one question before we jump and talk a little bit more uh, science. I mean, I always had a, you know, difficulty explaining to my dad what I do. 
And <laughs> I don't know what do you tell your, your dad, and I love the guy, by the way. I met him before you, Hani. So send him my best regards. How do you explain to Hani what you actually do? <laughs> Uh, he well, he he knows that I get very uh, passionate about everything I get into. Ever since I was a little kid, when I when I when I um, I'm, I'm I get laser I put laser focus on on things, uh, everything I get involved in. So when I was um, running a startup in, in 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 consumer electronics for 13 years, I was obsessed by it. I mean, I was constantly working on the the not just the product development and the sales and marketing. But like you know, uh, making sure that it's got all these features and how we how how it should be packaged and everything. It just I just got completely into it, and uh, you start, you know, your focus uh, just narrows down completely, and and uh, it's you, you stop looking at uh, the macro, and I didn't want to continuously think that way. I love the big picture uh, now. So I, 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 I have a bigger appreciation for it now because uh, I'm trying to uh, understand what's going on in the world at all times. And that's why every day I look at a world map, after all, and, and I see yeah. what happens in one part of the world affects another uh, just a few weeks later, and sometimes overnight. And so uh, that's what I really love about what I do now is that it's, it's quite macro, even though I'm looking at minute details, uh, visual mm. details, which are not picked up by any... Uh, automation or, or machine learning or anything like that uh, so a lot of those companies they come to us because we're actually looking at those uh, small details so the, the, and that's the, the really the next section so shipping we, we understand now how important it is although it's an underrated sector or industry and you know we all know that the container changed the world there's many books and documentaries about that but it's it's, it's very low tech it's just on the outset, when you look at it, it's a piece of metal. Now, I know there's a lot of science and algorithms that go behind that. But when it comes to tanker trackers, you said you 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 get uh, a lot of data from open source or publicly available uh, databases, etc. And then you mentioned something, for instance, that we look, we, we get the depth of the ship and then we calculate based on that how much oil it's carrying. So mm. explain to me that. How, how do you know the depth of the ship? And you know, then the rest is a formula. How do you get the depth? Right. So uh, there's two <laughs> ways uh, that we go about. One way is that the vessel itself reports its depth uh, in the AIS messages that it sends out every minute. Uh, so tell okay, you so that's a standard uh, data, uh, data set. Exactly. Okay. So that's how yeah. the industry does it at large. Uh, so okay. we look at we look at the vessel went from being 11 meters deep down to 20 meters deep. Therefore, it's carrying around two million barrels of oil. Okay. Uh, now, in 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 the case of what the invest the vessels that we investigate, that's that number doesn't always come out. So uh, we have to look at things like the since the vessel is elevated above water, um, mm -hmm. or the hull most of the hull is elevated above water when it's empty. We start looking at the shadow that it casts over okay. the ocean. From the sun and so uh we're looking at, at it by satellite and we can see that the shadow is thick one day and then thin the next that means that it was okay. loaded overnight but do you can can you actually measure the shadow and uh, estimate how much was loaded or you just know that yeah, it has been loaded because the satellite uh, revisits once every 24 hours so okay. uh knowing that change in, in the depth of the shadow will allow us to calculate down to maybe the closest 100,000 barrels on a 2 million barrel vessel. Oh, 
This is good old-fashioned analytics, so you know, paper, pen, maximum, and Excel uh, for yes. uh, you know. It, and a lot of a lot of squinting with the eyes. <laughs> hey, and so, and are you bringing any kind of the deep tech into this space? Like, uh, are you trying to look at more advanced ways? Are you developing something? Uh, we have we have our own methodology, which we we are constantly improving. Um, none of it is, I would say, automated. I have no real. Uh, I'm not really in a rush to automate anything. I want to okay. first pick up how many more uh, data points we can uh, make out from looking at a vessel and then uh, talk to somebody about automating it. But right now, it's not our priority. Uh, and the method that we have uh, has to hold well in, in case uh, anything ever goes to court. You need to have visual evidence. It's not enough to just to present, here's an AIS data and here's our theory of what happened. Uh, no, you have to have actual yes. evidence. And so it's a, it's good old uh, analysis, and right now it's very human human intelligence versus. I would, I always say that it's it's a combination of art and science. Excellent, interesting, very good. So we we, uh, we wanted to announce today something, uh, but we were not sure that people will you know maybe not take us seriously. But because you mentioned the uh, you know the whole idea of uh, the whole uh, situation, of people buying tankers just for. For a quick shipment. So, are you going to launch the Uber of tankers at the end of the day, where we can just order the tanker? And get... Yeah, with an app. Or is it going to be more like a more like a you know a, a, a dubizel for for the people in Dubai? <laughs> I I mean, it's it, you're likely going to have some fleets which do have uh, an app, and it will show you a schedule. I'm sh actually think there are uh, some that do that now. They show you a schedule availability and the routes that are available. Uh, and uh, you can book like that. But obviously that's not the, the, how it's done today, not in an app, but they, there are computer interfaces where you can uh, do yeah, stuff like So that. it's still also very human, uh, you know, and, and faxes and telexes and... Uh, <laughs> no, I don't wire, know wires. No. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, WhatsApp messages, I'm sure. <laughs> Just no, but a but there, is a, there, there are booking platforms for it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Cool, very good. So, uh, Samir, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, ship, shower, and shave uh, was today's <laughs> session. Uh, if you're interested, we can do our own, uh, you know, together uh, or, or your own. I recommend you do the Ship Happens podcast. I'll, I'll introduce you to the wonderful team behind the scenes who helps me do that. And uh, maybe you start your own podcast. And uh, so thanks again. Thanks to our uh, viewers, listeners all over the world uh, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed Samir and his fantastic insights. He's very active on all social media channels. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. You can find me at uh, my Twitter handle is Samir underscore Madani. And the Tanker Trackers at Tanker Trackers. We'll also post this uh, later on on, on, on LinkedIn uh, and, and, the other, and, and Twitter as well so that people can track you. And, uh, uh, you know, a regular guest on uh, TV, on CNN, on CNBC. I always see you, Financial Times, uh, quotes you from time to time. So you're always in the news. Lovely to see you again, Samir, and catch up. Uh, Thank you so much. Please remember to rate us, review wirelessly yours, and send us all your recommendations and comments for the next episodes. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Dear listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe to Wirelessly Yours on your favorite podcast app. We are available on all popular platforms, including Anrami, Apple, and Spotify. Your opinion matters to us, so leave us a review with your feedback, and stay tuned for more. Wirelessly Yours.